Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And don't forget to check out, if you're in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. I got one in early. You couldn't miss that, right? I mean, come on. Give me a break, guys. <laughs> Today's guest is Chris Espley, a another Britcoiner and a deep thinking Britcoiner. He could be our breed love, you know, guys. So sit back and enjoy and listen to Chris's mind wonder. He's definitely uh, thinking on a different level and this is great to see. Bitcoin has grabbed him in a way that is making him think deep about many things. Before we do get into it, I will give some shills as you are expecting. And in the US, you can go and start stacking sats with swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. They have you covered across all 50 states. Across Europe, if you want to Fiat cost average your way out of either euros or Swiss. You can use relay, R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten. Great service. Download them on your app. Very low on the KYC. Start stacking away. And then get those coins off the exchanges. Whether you're using CoinFloor or Swan or Relay, take control. Use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet to store your keys. You can find that at shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and that will get you a 5% discount. Go and check out the site once-bitten.com. Go to the sponsors page. There are some other companies there as well offering some discounts and more information on the show sponsors. Enjoy this episode with Chris. Thank you as always for listening. Yeah, we're live. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Thank you very much, Mr. Prince and Lauren. Thanks for having me. And just to make sure, Espli for anybody, Espli, Chris Espli. Espli, correct. <laughs> and another Britcoin, Lauren, over here. Look, and he's got an orange jumper on. Exactly. That's, um, yeah, if, uh, if it's like my birthday or Christmas, like I either get uh, a bottle of whiskey or a piece of orange clothing. So is it your birthday? Uh, no, but it was recently, and that's why I've got uh, that's why I've got this fleece. Well, where's the whiskey? Oh, look at that! Look at the <laughs> we, where's the where's the Matodel bottle pop? We, we... Yeah, that's true. I'm on. Unfortunately, so I'm on the Hague Club. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have a. It's not the highest quality, shall we say? So it has a screw top. Oh. Shocking. I'm on a beer. Uh, I, I'm drinking that? a uh, an IPA. So, uh, if I'm right, not Lauren. in bed yet, Daddy mm -hmm. like normally like texts mommy and says I need another beer. <laughs> get Lauren to get me a beer. I'm like, come on. I'm not your slave. You just you know, it's just like hanging out at the pub and having a beer with your friends, talking about Bitcoin and big ideas. And uh, this is the way it should be. It's the, the only the only thing missing are the um 
The, no, I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. good to, um, yeah, good to speak to uh, another Brit. Um, I feel we're, we're underrepresented. For some reason, the Americans seem to get it before we do. Um, in in uh, yeah, well, understanding Bitcoin, do you think? Or... Yeah, or maybe just, maybe it's that, maybe it's just having the values aligned with it. Maybe mm. it's just because there's more of them. I don't know. Yeah, there is a shit ton of them. Mm. Uh, you know, Peter's been doing his 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 uh, his best to fly the uh, the British flag. And to be honest, you know, I, I've not lived in the UK for 21 years, so some people might might suspect me to be a bit of a, a charlatan when it when it comes to claiming the Bitcoin crown. But um, You've yeah, kept I think your you can hear. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Credit for that. Thanks. Right. Okay, Lauren. Okay. Fire so, away. Let's do it. Okay. So. What do you do? It's just a normal question, because, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't hear that. Sorry, say that again. What do you do? So, um, I have a kind of day job. Uh, I work like a freelance market research. So basically like um, asking people questions, you know, like surveys. You answer, answer a load of questions about something, some boring topic. Uh, that helps some company under, understand their customers better. Um, so I do a, a bit of that um, freelance. Um, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to sort of create a business out of um, Bitcoin education, basically. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to start creating. Well, I have started creating some YouTube videos that just explain Bitcoin to people, um, and then yeah, I'm going to start creating more online resources. Um, so I have a, a website, bitcoin101.co.uk. Slightly dormant at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, yeah, working towards putting together some resources, maybe some like uh, online courses or something, just to kind of like put it all in one place for people to understand Bitcoin a bit better. Now that's... That, that that could be helpful for me. It could be um, helpful for many people. Yeah, and, and some young ones, yeah. Yeah. And Caitlin, because we need to get used to, to you chattering about it. So. <laughs> Glad to hear yes, it. you do. We're already kind of used to it, but normally we ignore him sometimes, but well, most of the time, because you just go like, and we hear it every single like nearly every single dinner time i think that's how my friends and family feel but that's why this podcast is important so that mm. we can talk to each other yeah but like i see this but like it's kind of important that he's saying this because in like a few years time I'm going to remember this, what he says, and then maybe I can talk it into different people. And all the guests. Yes, and all the guests. Yeah, good thinking. So, it's good that you're chattering a lot, but sometimes it just gets... <laughs> Do you have any more questions? Uh, no. Okay, then. Okay. Uh, thank you. Bye. <laughs> See you, Lauren. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Happy late birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
Cheers, mate. Um, right, yeah, let's start there. Bitcoin101.co.uk. Sounds like you've got a little bit of a, a plan up your sleeve. Another, another content creation. You, you know, I'm a big fan of, of that. Uh, I know you've not been a Bitcoin Twitter lurker. You've been putting out some fire threads. So what's, uh, you know, what, what was the tipping point for you, do you think, that you're like, right, God damn, I've got to start creating something. Like, when did that happen? Yeah. Oh, good question. Um, I remember it was like, would it have been late 2018? Um, I wrote a thread uh, that was just inspired to write because I'd been um, speaking to a friend about some financial or economic phenomenon. Um, and I was trying to explain it. You know, I'd, I'd been down the Bitcoin rabbit hole for a 18 months or something uh, and I was trying to explain it from the Bitcoiner point of view so I was doing this on like messenger or whatsapp or something and then, then I thought actually do you know what while these thoughts are like crystallized in my head I'm going to write uh, a thread about it and um, Dan Tapiero uh, who will be known to some of those on Bitcoin Twitter um, he's a gold bug uh, but he recognizes the merits of Bitcoin um, retweeted it. Uh, I think I tweeted it at him uh, in, in response to something he'd said. And he retweeted it. And I ended up getting a load of new followers and quite a lot of, um, you know, compliments, people saying, okay, this, this makes sense. Thanks for writing it or whatever. Um, and then after that, I started doing a weekly thread um, because I was just enjoying, as I was learning about it, like writing and teaching other people is one of the best ways to learn, right? So I started doing a weekly thread. Um, but one of the things I learned through that was like, um, for the amount of time it takes to create, threads aren't a great way. They're a great way of capturing thoughts like spontaneously. But if you're, go you're gonna like create content on a schedule, as I was doing it, I would do them every Friday. Um, in, in terms of like the attention you need, the attention that people need to devote to it. So like the cost in terms of the attention, uh, the kind of return on investment in terms of the amount of information you can convey in a thread isn't that good because it people need to concentrate for like 20 tweets. Whereas the kind of information density of uh, video is much better uh, and just kind of it's easier to watch and, uh, easier to get ideas across you can kind of contextualize what you're saying with visuals um yeah so i've kind of moved towards like trying to learn how to create videos um which is what i'm doing now i'm on my like fifth youtube video or something and they're uh they're not where i want them to be yet but uh they're getting better um what's the, what's the feedback been like good i mean, I mean um the first three I didn't really share because uh, they weren't very good. It was more like kind of experimental. So I did one on like uh, how I got into why I invested in Bitcoin in 2013. Um, and then another that was like just sort of my general story, like who I am, why I'm starting a YouTube channel. And then I did another about um, uh, what Peter Thiel thinks about Bitcoin, trying to play to the like uh, what people search for on YouTube. People tend to search like some famous person's name and then Bitcoin. So those videos tend to do quite well. Um, 
and yeah so I made those three and I was like these are shit <laughs> because I was I was editing them myself so I wasn't happy with them at all so since then uh, I found a few video video editors um and I'm like outsourcing that element of the process to them so I'm right now I'm trying to build a, a sort of system and habits so that I can create like two videos per week of, of good quality um, that involves a, a fair bit of outsourcing so uh, yeah I'm kind of like wading through the headaches uh, in relation to that right now. And how did that decision sit with you in regards of you know being completely out there uh, you know OPSEC is that there's a faction of Bitcoin that is completely all about OPSEC uh, with with very good merit and people such as Matt Odell have, you know, shown themselves as well because for him it was important to to stand up and say, hey, yeah, like this is really important aspect of Bitcoin and this is how I want you to think about it. But having his actual face and name behind it, I think resonates with people way higher. What, what were your thought processes around that? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and I have kind of wrestled with it. And I think it's why it sort of took me longer to um, start creating content, like, you know, put my full effort behind it. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's a few things. I mean, one is that I don't really understand. Well, I was going to say I don't really understand that OPSEC very well anyway, but I could learn. But the main things are like, yeah, number one, like you said, um, it's really important. Bitcoin is really important in terms of its implications and its adoption for freedom, for uh, prosperity, whatever. Um, so, yeah, to, to take that one first. Um, yeah, I guess I think with pseudo pseudonymity on um Bitcoin Twitter, that, that's the main place that the plebs kind of educate people, right? It lends itself to certain types of content, certain um, energies, which are fine, are great, um, but which a lot of people don't kind of resonate with. Um, I think my perspective of, of Bitcoin and like teaching people about Bitcoin is colored by the fact that I'm not someone who's like, you know, a lot of people are kind of, they were already libertarian or they were already into Austrian economics. So like Bitstein and Pierre Richard talk about the fact. Pierre Richard has this line, like I discovered Bitcoin in 2005 or something like that, because that's when he got into Austrian economics. Um, so yeah, there are those people, but then there are, there are people like me and I, maybe I'm not in the minority, but it, it does feel like that way. Um, where like a few years ago, like I was like quite left wing, um, like a, I love Jeremy Corbyn. You'll know him uh, being a Brit, but um, yeah, like they were my politics. And like, I guess it comes from like looking at the economic and financial system, kind of uh, your, your BS detectors going off, right? You know, something's wrong and you know that, that that's the guy who's kind of speaking out against it. So, okay, I like him. Um, so I kind of 
I come from Bitcoin, come at Bitcoin from like outside a lot of the um, schools of thought, which lots of people do. I think a lot of people also come to Bitcoin from a more sort of the word tech or computer science and open source and, you know, enthusiasm for open source projects as well. Um, and I think because I come from outside that, I recognize the need for content, which kind of, um, I don't know, attempts to kind of reach across, build bridges and reach across into different types of communities and put it in a different way and try to reach out to those people who are like me and like Corbynites or Bernie bros now or whatever. And uh, yeah, kind of create content for them as opposed to what I think goes on on Bitcoin Twitter a lot of the time is that you you end up creating content for people who are already like looking for it. Um, so maybe that's one thing and just feeling like like that is worth it. And that's not to say anything against the the approach on Bitcoin Twitter because Twitter is a war zone, right? And Bitcoin's under constant attack. So uh, that is what shapes, you know, the way we interact on Bitcoin Twitter and that's fine. Um, and then I think the other thing is like, if you think about Bitcoin and like having a low time preference, you start to think about like um, intergenerationally and, you know, for, if, if you think about like how to set up your family, the next generation, future generations of your family for success and prosperity and whatever, and resilience, um, one of the best things you can do right now is accumulate Bitcoin. Um, it's here to stay and uh, it's purchasing power uh, versus every asset and consumer good. Uh, well, it will never stop appreciating. That's the number go up technology for you. Um, yeah, I agree with Matt O'Dell that it's, uh, it's designed to pump forever. Um, yeah, but, th but then at the same time, you kind of think, well, I don't just want to kind of accumulate huge purchasing power. I want to kind of equip them, equip myself and so that I can equip my family um, with the ability to like uh, generate income. Um, so yeah, it's, I kind of, for a few years I've wanted to start a business and I was kind of wrestling with like, well, is the low time preference thing to do to just accumulate Bitcoin through like a, you know, mining fiat with a, a nine to five job or whatever, which there's a very strong argument for. But then at the same time, I'm thinking like, do I at the same time, would I prefer to like learn how to build, run, sustain businesses um, so that I can pass on that knowledge to my kids or whatever? Um, so yeah, in terms of blowing my OPSEC and like, you know, going back to the question you asked, I think it's the trade-off between those things, like wanting to sort of uh, put my face out there, put my name out there and reach out across aisles to educate more people who are like me about it and not necessarily predisposed to Bitcoin as messaging. Um, and then al also it is just putting my skills and my knowledge towards um, creating a, a business teaching myself how to do that in the process. I don't, I don't know how to 
start and run businesses. I don't really know anybody who, who does that. Um, so that I can, you know, when I'm older, teach my kids how to do the same thing. Do you have kids already? Or is this like something you're planning? Like I'm just trying to get a gauge of your timeline and your, your kind of thinking and optimism. Uh, planning. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting married. Congrats, man. Yeah, getting married in July this year. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's on the horizon. This is amazing. Like the, the, the level of family planning around young holders of Bitcoin is something to be discussed. You know, I had Gaki on the show recently and this kid's 17. I guarantee you he's thinking generationally. Yeah. And that wouldn't be happening if it weren't for Bitcoin. Yeah. It's because we can. Like, I, I spoke about this with Breedlove, um, Robert Breedlove, for the, like, the three people who don't know who he is. <laughs> um, yeah, talking about how, like, Bitcoin is like, or rather money, is the base layer of society. And that goes for your institutions, your economy, and your culture. Because ultimately, the way you do money um, like the water in which you swim, it, it designs everybody's incentives. And when you have inflationary money so that everybody's purchasing power decreases over time, it kind of pushes society and towards high time preference, right? So you're incentivized to spend your money straight away, really, because that's when it's at the peak peak of its purchasing power um and you know all of the assets that you might want to buy the things you might want to buy are running away from you anyway um so you know you may as well eat drink and be merry um whereas when you adopt bitcoin and you understand like what sound money is um and bitcoin the fact that bitcoin is sound money and hard money uh that you know, is anti-fragile and resilient and whatever. Um, it empowers you to think this way. I, I think there are, well, everybody or the vast majority of humanity would think this way if they felt like they could, if they felt they could think intergenerationally. Not everybody, but yeah, I think um, it, it's one of my challenges now is like I'm trying to adopt the Bitcoin standard in my head. I've done it in a lot of things. And in terms of like the, the stuff that you can like sit down and like think about once and just plan for, like having a having kids and um you know accumulating Bitcoin and starting a business and that kind of stuff. Um you can do you, that kind of stuff, you can adopt the Bitcoin standard, so to speak, because uh yeah, it's, it's kind of a one-off thing and you just think about it once. But there are so many like ongoing day-to-day -day decisions you have to make that, yeah, I, I'm trying to think in terms of Bitcoin, if that makes sense. Like use Bitcoin as my unit of account to assess every opportunity. I've kind of likened it to like trying to learn a new language. It's like, yeah, every <laughs> every decision I make you don't want to go through life thinking about it all the time. You just want it to happen automatically. 
but yeah, that, that's one of the things I'm trying to do at the minute. And you, you were talking about this on your notes, like things to hit on in this conversation and you, you know, that we're, we're building up to it here. The difficulty of mentally adopting the Bitcoin standard. Like, if we are finding it difficult as people that have been in the space for a fair amount of time, we're very, we get called maximalists for a reason. It's because we're very numb to the, the, the level of, it's not even intellect, I would argue, because I feel Bitcoin is intuitive. I, I think you need a far higher level of intellect to even start digging into and understanding the legacy financial system that we have, because that has had centuries of layering and obfuscation of you know smoke and mirrors everywhere and it's designed to be completely confusing whereas bitcoin on the other hand is this brand new thing it's intuition austrian economics is intuition but still what is it that is it just the indoctrination over the like a lifetime that is just so hard to switch off in people yeah, I think it's partly that. That's like the um, the way that, the ways that it like infiltrates the culture, um, and the ways that like you know it. That's one of the difficulties of adopting the Bitcoin standard. In that, um, people will look at the decisions you make and kind of raise an eyebrow because, from through their lens, your decisions don't really make sense. Um, just being lower time preference, I guess. Um, but then there's also stuff that's just like the tools that are available to you. Like, uh, you know, you kind of, uh, when you kind of peruse the internet and you see the prices of things, um, you kind of have to convert it to sats because you can't select that as your currency. Um, yeah, so it, it's a tough thing. I mean, I, I, I think you just kind of have to accept that it's, it said it is momentary. It's kind of, mo yeah, it's moment to moment in terms of like the small decisions you make, uh, the small purchase, purchase decisions. But then it's also just like, it's the journey down the rabbit hole, right? Like whenever I think I'm at the bottom of the rabbit hole, um, I find out that I'm not again. And this is just one of the things that I think it's one of the reasons that it will never stop it. Like you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you, right? think that that's one stage along the rabbit hole when you start to observe the way it's changing your decisions um you so can't yeah, turn off the epiphanies man you just can't no it's it's incredible i'm exactly the same i i think right i've got there now i've got to this level of understanding and then just a conversation it doesn't even have to be a conversation with a podcast be a conversation with a complete random stranger but they'll bring something up that's just like click, click, click. All the dots were lined on that specific topic. You're like, oh shit. I've got to go home and find now some some other evidence to 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 back up this claim and, and think about this in a in a deeper fashion. It's it's truly amazing, mate. It is a never-ending rabbit hole. We we won't find the bottom. Uh, and that is all part of the trap. Yeah, very much. I mean. 
Yeah, I guess one of the things you learn is like just how um, how much, like I've just said there, um, the money is at the base layer and it shapes everything above it. Um, yeah, the, your institutions, your culture, your, your economy, everything. Um, like I said, it's the water in which you swim. And yeah, just the way it does, it seeps into art, uh, you know, music and film. Um, and yeah, just whether it's high time preference or whether it's, you know, other things. I, I talk about like um, one of the things that kind of, so someone made the observation with me recently um, where um, they kind of spoke to the fact that the, the Gen Z people they know have kind of like a gallows humor. Um, and could you, could you explain that for those people listening that might understand it, what a gallows humor is? Yeah. So like just quite a like sort of dark humor and like quite resigned to like uh, su- the superficiality of life, the, the meaninglessness of modern life, um, the fact that, that they don't have great life chances and they're not going to be able to afford uh, the things that their parents were, a house, uh, an education without going in into heaps of debt and so on. Um, and it, it crystallized, I guess it had already crystallized for me, but it, it provided further evidence for something that I'd already been thinking about. Um, and yeah, just, so I, I guess just in terms of how I got from where we were to here, I'm just kind of extending the, like, um, like the way that Bitcoin changes you and, uh, the, the implications of sound money for uh, us as individual Bitcoiners. And then if you kind of extend them out, what they might be for society, if you contrast them with like the fiat world, and this, yeah, this is one of the things I've been speaking about recently, but like, like fiat culture and yeah, one of the things being like high, high time preference uh, and, in, and increasingly high time preference throughout the generations uh, everybody's talking about that WAP song now with uh, Megan the Stallion and I forget who the other one is. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I, d- I don't know. It. I, I, <laughs> you're going to have to sing it, mate. <laughs> uh, no, that's, uh, yeah, you're, you're blessed if you, if you uh, have avoided the, uh, the conversation around it. But it's just, yeah, just kind of, uh, it offends people's sensibilities, let's say. Um, and it's just, yeah, quite, you know, quite vulgar and what have you. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the um, symptoms of like uh, our fiat monetary paradigm. It's high time preference society. And it, yeah, art and uh, it's, art is almost like the symptoms of societies. People's lived experiences in a, within a generation manifest themselves in the art, whether that's the music, the books or the, films and yeah high time preference is one thing one of the things that i'm more um interested in um and it's partly because of as i've said that that observation somebody made about gen z um gallows humor but it's also because one of my 
um, pet issues is like housing. Like within the whole financial stuff that Bitcoin is talk about, um, the one I really focus on is housing and the affordability of housing and the fact that, you know, the monetization of housing has meant that they're not really affordable anymore. Um, yeah, that a lot of my friends kind of don't, don't own them uh, and aren't going to be able to for a while uh, without like even more government intervention, like getting rid of the need for a deposit altogether, for example, which the UK government are currently talking about. Um, but yeah. Oh the, dear. Yeah. That's, that's not going to end well. It's just more no. and more leverage, right? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that they'll keep piling on more leverage until they can't anymore. Um, yeah. But so the, these things are all downstream of the money. Uh, and the, the symptoms of this, the symptoms of people not being able to afford a house, for example, which in turn is a, a symptom of the way we do money and inflation and uh, decade after decade of loose monetary policy um, is like increasing hopelessness um, and sort of despair within, within younger generations. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I was speaking about with Breedlove recently was, um, so it, in kind of identifying this um, increasing despair, increasing hopelessness and indulgence in gallows humor and what have you uh, with the younger generations, I was thinking about art, thinking about the symptoms of like fiat money in the culture. I was kind of thinking like, what would I expect to be true if, if this was the case that fiat money was, uh, the implications of fiat money were manifesting themselves in the in the culture and in, in art. And uh, I was thinking like, well, you'd see it in films, right? So I went and looked on uh, IMDb for like the uh, most popular films from the 90s. Because I, I knew that it, like it was um, kind of mainstream for my generation, like kind of hopelessness with regards to uh, one's prospects, particularly financially. Um, so I thought, okay, the generation before me, what, what would I expect to be true? And I guess you'd expect it to be kind of there, but perhaps niche. And if you look at like the most popular films from the 90s, uh, when like Gen X, the generation before millennials, were uh, the drivers of popular culture, um, there's some like really kind of, uh, I don't know, vanilla ones, you could say, uh, Forrest Gump. And uh, others, Pulp Fiction, maybe, um, Shawshank Redemption. But then there's like a couple that just speak to this, like the beginnings of this like malaise that is beginning to become like more and more mainstream and increasingly so with each generation. And yeah, so, so two of the films that kind of were evidence of this to me uh, the Matrix and Fight Club. So two huge films from the 90s when Gen X were like, obviously, the, the drivers of popular culture, um, which both speak to this, like, the beginnings of this, like, dissatisfaction and uh, disillusionment 
with just the modern world uh, and one's hopes and hopes for a meaningful life and what have you and the ability of to like live a fulfilling life in the in the modern world um and yeah i just i just thought that was interesting like that you do kind of see it in the culture and that if you think about the themes within those films fight clubs about like a, a generation of men who have just completely lost their purpose so they, they take to like fighting one another in a basement to feel something uh, and then you know conduct a revolution or whatever uh, and then you have uh, the matrix which is is like the origin of uh, the red pill meme which has become like the jumping off point for so many different pill-based memes um and yeah so the red pill what is the red pill to confront an uncomfortable truth um in order to yeah to confront something un uncomfortable to like move past the superficial to find truth um and yeah i i just think the the way that we we see it's like if you think, think about the symptoms of inflation and the symptoms of fiat money, you can try and look for like quantitative stuff. Uh, and if you listen to mainstream economists, they'll sort of cherry pick what you're allowed to consider evidence or not. So CPI, um, which is widely considered amongst Bitcoiners to be a bit of a BS metric. Um, or you can look for the qualitative stuff where there aren't as many gatekeepers, right? And you don't have the creden credentials, the kind of, uh, yeah, the gated institutional narrative. Um, so, you don't, yeah, you don't get like the, the proponents around the CPI metric because that suits the narrative. It fits the narrative. If you look at the qualitative stuff, yeah, as I've said, there's no gatekeepers and you, you see the... Um, the symptoms of it are kind of there to see. Um, and just going back to what you were saying about like, you know, contrast the, uh, in contrast with the, the fiat world, Bitcoin is a thinking in, intergenerationally. Um, it, yeah, it all comes from the money and it, it's what we've been empowered to do. And thinking of films, mate, um, two I was going to take a guess at which you didn't mention. Obviously, The, the Matrix is a huge meme and brilliant, both brilliant films. I was going to throw in there as well, and hopefully this will become a, a thing on Twitter, you know, looking at this, because we can all go back and look at the films that kind of shaped our thinking at that time. Um, one for me, a big one, Train Spotting. Yeah. Uh, what a film. But mm. that, that opening scene, I mean, it's, it's the title of my book because of that, that scene of... Um, Renton running away and, you know, the choose life, choose the big screen TV, choose the washing machine, choose the couch and choose this and choose that and choose this. And you're like, holy crap, this is like uh, consumption on steroids, you know, to keep in line with the film or heroin, whatever they were doing. But the, that, that, sense of, that sense of helplessness, but at the same time, that sense of, like everything around them didn't make sense. And it, it was the drugs that they needed to escape just like the, like the complete and utter randomness that wasn't making any kind of sense at all. And then the other one, huge, I'm not sure if we're around the same age, I'm 44, 
Um, so I remember watching American Pie and thinking, oh man, I've missed out. Hugely missed out. I never went to university, right? I, I walked into my into my job at the age of 19. I was so done with academia. I just could not even, one, I didn't have the grades and two, I just did not have, I couldn't face another four years listening to a flapping head talk about nonsense. I wanted to go out and, and earn money and start, you know, actually interacting in the world. And then you watch American Pie and you're like, fuck, I missed the trick here. That looks awesome. But now I look back at it and I think that was just a university drive because it was around 95 to 99. If you left school with a couple of A-levels or whatever, you'd walk into a job, no problem. It suddenly started changing where it became expected for you to go to university. And the US were a good decade ahead of us on that. And then when you think back, if you go back a decade, like Top Gun, Military drive, you know, like just crazy, crazy thinking that, you know, that these, these, these films and the way that we are just coerced by them and who's really funding them and who's really behind them and what is the real narrative. It, it's, it's really interesting to think about. You've opened up a rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really interesting. The train spotting point. Um, yeah. I'm I'm 29, by the way. I know I look older because I have a, a bald head. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... but so your yeah, no. your films then coming of age. What, what what kind of like between? I guess between like 12 and 18, when you're w- probably watching the most amount of content and the most malleable. I would say. What? Yeah, I would probably say. I watched a lot of old films, so like maybe similar stuff. Um, I watched The Matrix when I was too young to understand it. I watched that when I was like 10 and I just didn't get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you brought up train spotting. I can't remember when I watched that. But um, that's a really interesting one because I only look when I was like doing the sort of research, uh, I call it, it's a bit too much of a formal name for having like a an idle Google, but um, yeah, I didn't look at that one because it it must not have been amongst the top ones on IMDb. But it, it it's more evidence for the same thing, definitely. Um, yeah, the, as you said, these young people like looking at the world and thinking like the the adult world, the modern world, and thinking like there's nothing in there for me. And it's the it's the despair and the hopelessness and like the yeah succumbing to I guess, so I've spoken about The Joker. Um, I haven't actually watched that film yet, but um, I understand what, what the themes of it are, right? This guy who, um, and, and everybody knows the character. The, the reason The Joker is so like magnetic in today's day and age is because everybody can relate to the temptation to despair, which The Joker is going through. And this is like um, an ancient, the, the temptation to despair and the, importance of resisting it are like ancient challenges and uh there's ancient wisdom around them so um in the bible i don't know if it was jesus's teaching or uh whether it was you know uh saint paul or whatever who added it afterwards but um yeah that so to 
succumb to despair. I don't know how that's defined, whether it's like committing suicide or just, you know, figuratively in your life. Um, is what is it? It's not the unforgivable sin. Or is it? Yeah, no, I think it's the yeah, the one unforgivable sin, because it's a rejection of God's ultimate capacity for uh for for love and his power basically um so that there's an ancient piece of wisdom right because that, that's what old religious teachings are it's way, ways to like guide behavior um and it's just ancient wisdom that stood the test of time um so yeah that this is like an age-old challenge but it's being felt particularly um pertinently now because it, it just it's so relevant in, in the modern world when uh, it looks impossible for you to be able to just afford a house to bring up your kids in. And, you know, even if you can't afford a house, you still have to rent one. Um, so just the, the basic costs of living are so high. Um, you know, so many uh, millennials are thinking of not having kids. Ostensibly, some say it's because of like concerns around climate change. I think it's just because lots of people don't think they can afford them. Um, yeah, that, that's what it is. It, it, it's, it's looking at the modern world and thinking like, there's nothing in this for me, except as opposed to those Gen X films where it was like, uh, you know, it was Neo, the, the, the chosen one, one guy going through it while everybody else was, you know, these NPCs who were just hadn't noticed. Uh, or whether it's train spotting, where it's this young individual group of, of ragtags or what, what have you. Um, yeah, similar in Fight Club. Yeah, it, it's gone from the niche to like the mainstream where where like the, the Joker was such a um, uh, charismatic film. Uh, and yeah, you kind of have to say that in today's day and age, the measure of a film's like, uh, or, or a music video or whatever's uh, cultural re relevance is like the number of memes it inspires. I didn't watch the film, but I knew all about the Joker because of how many memes it inspired. Um, the reason that it has this cultural relevance and, and, and resonates so widely with a generation is because everybody can relate to that guy's struggle, like not, not succumbing to like, doing what he does and like uh, torturing people and living a life of crime or whatever, but just being failed by the institutions that were supposed to help you or just give you a decent chance, at a decent quality of life. Um, and yeah, because it's financial, because it's embedded into the financial system, um, all of these things are trends. So, it was niche for Gen Z, as we've said in those films. Uh, it's become mainstream for millennials, and it's going to be even more so for Gen Z unless something gives, um, which is why we're here, right? We're, we're trying to build the new world as and yeah, as the old one collapses. I've got a random one for you. you know, oh, yeah. it's, been, it's, been, it's been on my mind for a little while because I tweeted something just about a week ago that I can't remember what brought it on. Oh, I found out um, 
the that uh, oh shit, Wales won the Six Nations. I think is that correct? Do you know? Don't know. Okay, now I've watched Six Nations for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I I think I watched the opening game, saw the virtue signalling, saw uh, there were zero crowds, and turned it off. And I can't watch it again. Formula One, I watch every season of Formula One. I'm so sick and tired of the virtue signaling of last season, and they're carrying on with this season that I just can't. And there's no crowds. I just can't watch it. Football. I, I have not watched a match. I can't. I don't even know how long. Don't even watch match of the day because of the virtue signaling and the zero crowds and the, the, the canned applause and canned um, crowd noise. And it got me to thinking. I wonder, as as we as we're talking about, we we go into this new um, renaissance, whatever you want to call it. People, you know, Stacey Herbert calls it Renaissance 2.0. And it's like, I wonder how sports will change. Like, what's going to happen with with that? I mean, surely we'll have the 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 stalwarts, but. New ones will be invented. I, I, I mean, it, it, if they're, 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 there's going to be new art, there's going to be new music. I mean, sport is so critical and crucial to, to human interaction and uh, bringing people together and enjoyment. I mean, it's as old as civilization, right? I mean, this is where we have the Olympic Games come from. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just want to throw that one at you out of left field and, and just wonder if uh, any of the listeners might have ever thought about that as well. Interesting one. And on the virtue signaling, um, yeah, I, I had I, I was thinking about this last night myself. Um, and I think it's because uh, I was watching a game, uh, but I, I accidentally put on the channel that didn't have crowd noise. And I was thinking, like, this is boring AF. And I was trying to think, like, I was thinking like, you know what, like, it, but it's been this way for a while. And to be honest, it's been, been on my mind for a while. Um, I remember there being a game, a specific game uh, where it occurred to me, it, this, had, this actually went on for a few weeks, but there was a game where it occurred to me um, where like there was a minute silence for like, I think it was NHS workers um, who had died during COVID. Um, or, or maybe it was the clap, like the clap for carers thing. Um, and then they did the kneel for the Black Lives Matter thing. And then uh, on their kits, they might have had like uh, an armband for something. And then like an NHS logo on like the front and the back of the kit. And <laughs> it, uh, like pick, pick any one of those issues. And you sound like a, a, a dick for, for arguing against it. But when you put them all together and you know you, you, you kind of think back to like even 10 years ago and you think this, this would not have happened then. Um, and you put it alongside so many other different trends. And yeah, it, it doesn't matter whether you, were, whether you uh, agree with the causes or not. That's not the relevant bit. Well, the relevant bit is it's a trend towards like, just the kind of uh, sanitization of sport and like the politicization of sport. Um, 
And pe people like to say that certain social causes aren't political, but they, they very much are. And, and the, the worst thing for me is that the origin of these things is like coming from um, the corporate level. Like um, that social causes do come to the forefront uh, in a bottom up, like from the fan sort of way. You think of the Hillsborough um, justice for the 96 um, in the UK. So if any American listeners uh, are listening, um, the Hillsborough disaster was uh, one in which um, there was like a, a stampede or, or a, a crush basically at, um, a, a Liverpool game in, um, was it the late 80s or early 90s? Um, and it, essentially 96 Liverpool fans died. Um, and in the aftermath, uh, the police uh, essentially covered it up uh, with, with the reports uh, and made it, uh, basically shifted the blame onto the fans and then with the help of the media, um, yeah, sh shifted the blame onto Liverpool fans uh, and there was a famous headline in the sun, wasn't there? The truth. Um, and it, yeah, we're just basically trying to pit all of the blame on the fans uh, when in fact, like, uh, I haven't looked into it myself, but supposedly it was like, there were really poor, like crowd control methods in place and what have you. And yeah, the, the justice for the 96 campaign went on for years uh, and was very salient in football every season. But the difference was that that came from the fans. It was grassroots. It was bottom up. Whereas everything you see now, none of that is coming from the fans. And if it had come from the fans, I would be absolutely fine with it. But it's the fact that it's a kind of a top-down thing. It's these sports and these organisations like the Premier League thinking about their brand and how to kind of remain relevant today. Um I do think part of that will just go away when fans are back because, uh, yeah, fan, fans are in control when they're in the stadium, really. Um, but yeah, it, in terms of your question um, and how it will affect sport, I think um, I'd expect it to, it to affect a couple of things. And these are really specific, but I can't really talk in general terms because I don't know. But in specific terms, so. So you're talking about the way earlier we were talking about the way that um, Bitcoin has like changed my outlook. Um, and one of the ways it has changed my outlook is it's made me think about like in the future, like without uh, a fiat monetary system, uh, like the center cannot hold at the national level. And one of the trend trends that's going on uh as a result of information technology, so even broader than Bitcoin, is like decentralization. So, yeah, the, the center cannot hold at the national level. The, the economy, so our national institutions are, are built like to govern our economies, right? Uh, to, they're, they're reactive, that they, they grow up um, like some problem manifests itself, some regulation to guide that behavior and what have you over time those bits of regulation grow up into an institution so because they are reactive the institutions of the day tend to reflect the character of the economy beneath them 
think I'm, this is from like the sovereign individual. Um, what we have now is industrial age institutions presiding over an information age economy. So the economy underneath the institutions has been getting more and more complex. And with complexity, it demands more and more kind of local decentralized governance because you need to get closer to the behavior if you're going to effectively regulate it. Um, so that, that's one of the trends that will happen anyway. Um, so yeah, this has kind of turned me on to like localism and basically how like having a presence within um, and a reputation within your local community is, go is going to pay a lot more in the future. Um, it's going to be worth your while to, to build and cultivate and what have you. And so one of the things that that has kind of led me to do, I've, I've joined a local cricket club. And the reason I picked the one that I did, um, so I, I could have just got involved with like five-a-side football with my mates from high school or whatever. But I thought, I want to get involved with like a club that has, you know, an infrastructure, a leadership and a, a cause and, a, and what have you. Uh, and a, yeah, a, a bit of a history and what have you. Um, I want to kind of like help it out. I want to... Uh, you know, get better at cricket. I want to one day like learn how to teach other people to do it. So become a coach. And then I want my kids to get involved with it. And, uh, you know, so that they can have the kind of apparatus and a structure around them to like thrive within some sport or what have you. And, and you know, just see the dad uh, like uh, helping out his local community and whatever. And, you know, the, the, uh, a sports club, its reach goes beyond like the, the sport it plays. It has a, you know, they have roles to play in the local community. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I just kind of, with a lot of this stuff, I just try to kind of observe my own behavior and then like extrapolate it out. Not everybody's like me, but at the same time, if a load of, if a lot of people uh, understand what Bitcoin is, Bitcoin starts to like, uh, design their incentives, affect their worldview, then you might see more of that going on. So more participation in local sports clubs, for example. Um, yeah, and another might just be like uh, more, uh, more participation, um, not necessarily from a, a leadership point of view, uh, but just in the sport itself. So I think one of the barriers to participation in sports these days is probably just like busy lives and one of the thing one of the reasons i think people's lives have got so quote unquote busy um is because we are all chained to our jobs we live in a debt-based economy and um it's normal to work over 40 hours per week a job you don't really care about um and yeah because of that people don't have as much time to think about things they might like to do outside work or uh, what might be good for you know their, their kids to get involved with over the long term um, and so yeah I, th I think that might be one of the things that like hinders participation in sport so yeah for various reasons mainly centered around localism 
but also around like moving to a savings-based economy might give people more time, more leisure time. I think you could expect to see more participation in sport. Yeah, I think so too. And um, just to clear up the the Hillsborough thing, yeah, it was late 80s, 1989. Mm. And it was, for, for American listeners, this is back in the days when there was standing, yeah, especially behind the goals of the stadiums, there were no seating. There was no seating. And there was fences up between the fans and the pitch because uh, hooliganism in the 80s had been pretty, pretty bad. And it was negligent policing at the end of the day, just after kickoff or just before kickoff, I can't remember. Uh, there, were, there, were more, there were far too many people congregating outside that just didn't have tickets. So the, uh, the, the police chief in charge uh, said, open one of the gates and you know, get some more people inside. And that's just what led to the, the crushing of the people that were at the front. Um, yeah, shocking, shocking absolutely shocking event um so yeah where does this lead like um the 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 sport a random one out of left field like i said that just got thinking the other day about it and there's clearly going to be something right because as we know bitcoin touches everything yeah good point i mean um yeah, it, as I say, it's the water in which we swim. Um, I one of the things I, I've been thinking about recently is like, so obviously I've been thinking about how to um, educate more people about Bitcoin because, as I've said, I observe what it's done to for me uh, in in my life, and it, it's any Bitcoin will know it goes so far beyond the fact like the financial what it does to your net worth if you've been in it for a few years and just huddled. Um, yeah, it's, it's the way that you, yeah, you learn about why the the paradigm that you're living in is unusual. Um, what sound money societies have been like, uh, and what it might be like again. And yeah, the, the way that makes you reflect on your choices and your behavior and what have you. Um, yeah, so forget where I was going with that but um can't remember <laughs> <laughs> I do that. the whiskey yeah well well I, someone said um someone commented on my under my uh uh episode with Breedlove like um yeah this was this was really cool it was really insightful I, I wish you'd speak more quickly though <laughs> Tend to be a, they've got to use they've got to use the sailor trick and just yeah, put you up at like one and a half times or something. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I've I've told people to do that. Like, uh, if I'm on a podcast, listen to me at one point five x. Unfortunately, if you meet me in person, you uh, you can't do that. <laughs> My missus wishes she could. Yeah, um, yeah I guess Can just fiat fiat being the the water in which we swim, right? So, one of the things. One of the books I've been reading recently, I, I tend to read like uh, a few books at the same time. Um, and one of the ones I've been recently been reading recently is uh, When Money Dies. Have you read that one? Adam Ferguson. I'll show you the cover. 
I've not read it yet. It's about um, the yeah the nightmare of the Weimar hyperinflation. So hyperinflation in uh, 1920s Germany. Um, and yeah, just speaking about uh, the money being and the way we do money being the water in which we swim, designs our incentives, um, designs designs our institutions and our culture and our economy. Um, and the reason I've been reading that book is, you know, as governments around the world print trillions upon trillions of dollars, pounds, euros, what have you, um, to deal with the fallout from COVID or of their own making, I might argue. Um, I've been, I've been. You might, find, you might find no argument. <laughs> yeah, on this podcast, definitely. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to sort of answer the question for myself, like, uh, is that going to happen again? Like, are we going to get hyperinflation? Uh, what does this look like? Because we know as Bitcoiners, like, you can't just do this. You can't just print all the money in the world and just expect that everything's going to be okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've been looking for certain parallels between Weimar Germany and today. And some of them are like really striking. Now, uh, I don't, I don't want to like uh, spread fear or whatever. I personally, I don't think we will get hyperinflation um, for a number of reasons. Um, in in the West, at least, uh, I mean, hyperinflation is inevitable in a lot of places. Um, I can't be specific about which, but in a fiat monetary paradigm, it's inevitable somewhere, right? It, it happens every few years somewhere. Um, but yeah, so in terms of parallels between um, Weimar Germany and today, so it was 1923 when like the scenes of like um, you know, people carrying wheelbarrows full of cash to the to the shop and what have you. Um, yeah, so just to set this up, one quote here. Um, if what happened to the defeated central powers in the early 1920s is ever, anything to go by, so post-World War I, then the process of collapse of the recognised, traditional, trusted medium of exchange by which all values are measured, by which social status is guaranteed, upon which security depends and in which the fruits of labor are stored, unleashes such greed, violence, unhappiness, and hatred, largely bred from fear, as no society can survive uncrippled and unchanged. So that quote sets it up quite nicely, right? Um, and just talking about, it, it speaks to the fact, so in terms of our qualitative exploration of the symptoms of inflation and fiat money, right? Um, only like quite a few of those. So greed, violence, unhappiness, and hatred, largely bred from fear. That they are kind of qualitative. You wouldn't really measure them with facts and figures so much. You'd measure them in terms of like you just your you kind of experience of and the character of your life, I guess. Um, so yeah, one of the points being it, it validates the qualitative approach. Also, um, yeah, a, a parallel being in like the intelligentsia of the day, not 
seeing it and like deliberately so. Right, so here's one of them. Um, and I think, that, so this is from a newspaper, uh, the Vossisch Zeitung on uh, August 16th. And I think this would have been 1922 um, from some, you know, galaxy brain fiat economist. The opinion that the flood of paper is the real origin of the depreciation is not only wrong, but dangerously wrong. Both private and public statistics have long shown that for the last two years, the interior depreciation of the mark is due to the depreciation of the rate of exchange. It should be remembered today that our paper circulation, although it shows on paper a terrifying array of milliards, and milliards is like, so they didn't even have a word for million back then. Um, so yeah, milliards is a thousand million. Um, just, just that right there, that phenomenon that this word didn't exist. Uh, it's a billion, right? Yeah. Inflation, yeah. That, that's still the word. That's still the French word for billion. Yeah. Oh really? That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, a terrifying array of milliards is not is really not excessively. Uh, we have no dangerous flood of paper, but on the contrary, our total circulation is at least three or four times as small as previously. Um, so yeah, th that being one parallel, right? Like the the intelligentsia of the day, like uh, refusing to see it. I, f I found found that quite interesting, um, and also odd, just like that the, the incentives are so strong that people will like deliberately not look at the truth. I th and I think that's one of the things that unites Bitcoiners in a way, certainly like along my journey, I met certain like implications of Bitcoin that made me feel quite uncomfortable. Like, as I've said, I, I was like left wing a Corbynite. Um, and yeah, I, I would kind of meet implications of Bitcoin and think, I don't really like that. That kind of renders a, a huge chunk of my worldview obsolete. But in those moments in your journey down the rabbit hole, you have to, um, like, truth has to matter more to you than comfort, than sort of social acceptance. Because if you entertain some unpopular idea, and a lot of bit, the ideas associated with Bitcoin are unpopular, uh, and wrestle with the implications of an idea, you have to, yeah, you have to care more about the truth than any of those things. And clearly the exact same thing was going on back in 1920s Germany. Um, Slay your heroes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we're constantly talking about that, aren't we, in, uh, in Bitcoin circles. Taleb, perhaps, being the most recent one. <laughs> An easy slay. I mean, yeah. he just laid himself on the altar, didn't he? And said, chop me up like, what a moron. Yeah, I mean, it does. Um, I think it's good that it, it encourages people to have another second, perhaps more sceptical look at his books. I do think his books will stand the, te stand the test of time, personally, although I haven't been back and read them uh, since he revealed himself to be a moron. But... Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think his books will stand the test of time. Um, but a couple more uh, parallels between Weimar Germany and today, just in terms of like the day-to-day -day experience of the implications of inflation. 
See if you recognize this. Speculation on the stock exchange has spread to all ranks of the population and shares rise like air balloon balloons to limitless heights. My banker congratulates me on every new rise, but he does not dispel the secret uneasiness which my growing wealth arouses in me. It already amounts to millions. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, what, what, what was the name of the um, stock exchange? Like uh, Robin Hoodenstein or something like that? <laughs> uh, not sure. Not sure about then. Uh, so was- true, man. They, they were all pushed like now, like uh, millennials and a lot of the Zoomers, unfortunately, being pushed. And probably, actually, more worryingly, um, exes and boomers because they've, they've managed to accrue some wealth, you know, that they've got something to pass on to their families. But yeah, they, I mean, they, they feel that they're so, like uh, like you said earlier, you know, they're, they're just playing catch-up the whole time and, like, the, the money is just constantly losing value. And I've, I've spoken about this before. It might have been with with another... No, it was with Breedlove as well. It was with Breedlove and Knut, and I was explaining to them... Do you remember the meme in the UK that went around the boomer generation, uh, the ski meme, which uh, was an anagram um, for, not anagram, um, that's what I'm looking for. Anyway, could be anagram. It's not anagram. Fucking hell. No, it's, uh, you, you'll tell uh, me in a minute. From my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, um, it stood for spend kids inheritance. Amazing. And then it morphed into, somebody told me on Twitter afterwards, it, it morphed into skin, spend kids inheritance now. And this was a narrative that was pushed heavily in like the mainstream tabloids. You know, you'd have like a middle page splash in the travel section, like, you know, old Deirdre and old Bruce that have gone off on the, like, you know, the, the swan song of a lifetime, you know, Orient Express, first class all the way, you know, the transatlantic, this, that, and the other thing, round the world ticket on first class. So, and why did you decide to do this? Oh, this is our ultimate ski holiday. Spend the kids' inheritance. And this was disgusting push mm. to drive this consumerism. And acronym, thank goodness. Acronym. Came back to <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, this, this fiat world has just, and now what it's doing to, to people are being pushed hopefully inadvertently that they're they're going to shoot themselves in the foot by pushing people out into search for gains because when they see bitcoin it's very mouth-watering you know and this is our job now it's our job to make sure it's not ethereum or ripple or any of that other dog shit and it's not the stock exchange because that is rigged and it's not government bonds because they're zero and it's not just keep it in a savings account and god forbid you put it in an isa and don't put it in a an index tracker or any of this other shit that the mainstream is selling you because all they do is try and rebalance you and diversify you because every time they do that they're making fees on every change that you make maybe they'll look at precious metals and that that's still a big leap for most people you know, you say to a boomer, oh, you should invest in gold. And the first thing they think about is like physical gold bars, like under their bed sort of thing. They still have this kind of mentality. Um, so it's hard for them to, to come to Bitcoin ultimately. Uh, that's why 
we do the pods. That's why we do these interviews. That's why, you know, we write the articles and your threads and your YouTube channel. If we can, when these guys come and they come looking, if we can be there and like, you know, having conversations such as these and laying all of this out, you just hope that a few more people will take the orange pill and understand. We know it's happening, right? Look what happened, class of 20. Look what happened. Look what's happening, class of 21. Oh my God. Like this is when April and some of the stories already of people falling down the rabbit hole at record speed is very yeah. encouraging. Yeah, I think, um, and I guess uh, we've spoke, spoken about a lot of the sort of like negative stuff and uh, I've kind of introduced the spectre of hyperinflation there. Um, but I think one thing that is different about today than any other time in history is that like, so the old world is, is decaying and, um, and dying. Um, yeah, the, the old economy, the old institutions, uh, they're losing their credibility that they're, they're kind of, uh, hollowing, hollowing themselves out. Um, and you know, this has happened at times throughout history. It's led to the fall of empires. However, at the same time, we get to build the next one. And because this one is globally distributed and like, and lives online and is dependent on in information technologies. Um, we, yeah, we, we may just be able to build the next, you know, the, the, the basis for the next economy. And uh, yeah, with, with any luck, uh, a vibrant ecosystem of uh, platforms and businesses and experiences and what have you within the new economy before the old one uh, falls into the sea. Um, and I think that's why many Bitcoiners feel, kind of consider Bitcoin almost like a bit of a call to action. It's like when you, when you wrestle with its implications, like you want to tell everybody about it and you want to educate other people uh, and like, you know, um, hand out as many orange pills as you can. Um, and yeah, it's, that 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 phrase we love bullish on bitcoiners um and yeah this so for me uh bitcoin has already won um it's just it's just not evenly distributed and it's just not uh, clear to everybody yet um bitcoin will be and sound money therefore will be the, the basis and the foundation on top of which we build the new a new civilization Think there'll be some turbulence along the way but yeah in in the meantime we we kind of we get to build it and we get to onboard as many people as we can and uh yeah ultimately you know through bitcoin and through sound money there is hope yeah of course and you'd said um before i think one of your threads that i pulled up here that you, you had this thought you know, what did the Mayans, Aztecs, Incas, Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans all have in common? And, and, and... Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I wrote this at like, um, I wrote this at like 2 a.m. when uh, I was like <laughs> many, many whiskeys deep. <laughs> 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 you know, when you just, you're like, why, am I, why aren't I going to bed? 
but yeah. Because but anyway, Bitcoin yeah. has you. <laughs> exactly. So I had, I guess I just had these thoughts going around my head and I, I felt I had to get them out. Um, but yeah, essentially it was the thought that like, so you think about the, the gold, you think about gold, why gold is valuable. Um, and it's ultimately the answer is it's history in many ways. I mean, it, it's its properties, absolutely. Um, but in terms of gold versus Bitcoin, Bitcoin has pretty much all of the properties that gold has in terms of um, monetary properties. But the one that Bitcoin doesn't have is, is its history. So when you kind of ponder and consider gold's history, um, yeah, you, you look at its role within these civilizations. So um, I forget which was which, but there were like the Greeks, uh, the Aztecs and uh, the Mayans and the, the Romans uh, and others all used gold as um, as some form of money. They, they might not necessarily have used it in like day-to-day -day payments, but ultimately they, they were on a kind of gold standard because gold was kind of like final settlement. Um, but it, it wasn't just like, gold wasn't just this practical thing. It, it was also, when you look at those cultures, it was like deified, mythologized, um, and think again i forget which was which but one of them i think it was the aztecs can like spoke about it being like the tears of the sun um you know in all sorts of greek mythology uh gold has so many so many roles within all of the you know there's a a, a greek god of of gold or he, some greek deity i don't know if he's quite god level but um of gold his, his name's uh chrysos or chrysos um, you know, you, you think about the ancient Egyptians. Croesus, yeah. Croesus, okay. Cre yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, you, you think about the Egyptians, they, they would bury their, like, their leaders, their pharaohs uh, with treasures of gold. Um, Chichen, Chichen, Chichen Itza uh, was uh, found, I don't know the story around that, but uh, it, it was known to have had uh, lots of like gold treasures inside it at one point. I believe it was like looted. Um, I believe that's true as well. So it got me thinking, okay, so by the time these cultures which and civilizations, which we think of as great, uh, have kind of get to the point where they, they produce the works that leaders to consider them as great. So they build the pyramids. Uh, in the case of the Greeks, that they, they come up with the, the fantastic literature. Um, by the time they're able to do that, gold is already mythologized, deified. So it is already at, by that point that they become great and they produce great works, it is already elevated to within this status within their culture. Why is that? Because like the, these um, civilizations, they weren't speaking to one another or trading with one another. They all grew up at different uh, times in history independently. So, yeah, what is it about, um, about gold that means that all of them came to deify it and that every time that happened before they produced these great, great works? Why aren't there like great works of uh, ancient Greek literature which feature like something else as money. Uh, why aren't there like 
uh, Egyptian pyramids or other fantastic monuments or whatever that have pharaohs buried with, you know, teeth or shells or whatever we used as money previously or copper or whatever. Um, and my hypothesis and the one I put forward in the thread is that the reason this happens, this, this pattern uh, repeats itself and that gold uh, is deified by the time uh, they produce these works already is because gold is the prerequisite to becoming great. So the thing, the sort of common denominator is gold. And the reason is that in performing the functions of money, so some consider those to be unit of account, uh, you know, a, a measuring stick for value and a way to uh, assess an economic opportunities, compare the relative value of things because it takes one side of every trade. Um, store of value. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've spoken about Bitcoin giving us, empowering us with this ability to think intergenerationally and make long-term decisions. That's very powerful for a, a person. And if you multiply them across um, a civilization, that, that's huge or, or a society, that's a, a massive uh, function to fulfill for that society. Um, and yeah, really empowers that whole civilization to make progress and become great a medium of exchange so that was fairly obvious it's it's the token it, it solves the double coincidence of once i don't have to exchange my goat for your sheep um we, we can and therefore we don't have to have something that the other one wants at the same time or we need to trust on another and, and uh you know so that i don't give you a goat and then just trust that you'll give me a sheep later or whatever I don't know why I'm so obsessed with goats and sheep, but um, yeah, it's the token that sits within the middle of that exchange, right? So most Bitcoiners will know that. Well, I guess what, what I'm saying within the thread is those functions, and I'm sure there are others that money fulfills, um, are so important to a society that unless you... Uh, you get to gold, so to speak, unless you have a tool which fulfills those functions as well as gold does, you don't progress, you don't advance, you don't create enough prosperity to create a literary class, um, to um, you know, have the, the excess resources and time and manpower to build the pyramids. So it just speaks to the importance of um, number one, those functions of money for society. It speaks to um, yeah, gold's ability to to fulfil them, uh, and it speaks to yeah, the importance of money as the base layer of society to uh, uh, facilitate greatness uh, and to empower your people to do brilliant things and to create prosperity for one another. So and then the, the kind of thing I go on to say is like, so what does that mean for us today? Well, we, you know, in recognizing the importance of gold, consider the fact that we have kind of pulled the rug out from under ourselves because we don't use gold anymore. And we, we replaced 
that um, that goal, that that tool that fulfilled those functions with institutional trust, and that institutional trust is waning. Like, why would you expect things to be okay? Um, but then you go on to think, okay, well, yes, it was it was gold, and it, you know, gold was brilliant for for fulfilling those functions. But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily about gold itself. It was just about having something which was good enough at fulfilling those functions. Um, and in, in kind of looking ahead to Bitcoin, we are going to get those things back. It's just that we have to kind of get through this era of institutional trust uh, underpinning the money and those functions of society. And the fact that we took away that basis, pulled the rug out from under ourselves and what that means. And yeah, kind of in an optimistic sense, looking forward to Bitcoin over the long term. Um, it's just further bullishness and further uh, reason to think that Bitcoin will uh, yeah, enable and facilitate greatness. I think we all agree to that. Um, there's one last thing I want to ask you about might have been a bit tongue-in-cheek when you wrote it about Elon Musk being Satoshi Nakamoto. And obviously, since you wrote that, he he has done a, a big acquisition. Um, Elon is Satoshi confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I wrote a thread a while ago, um, kind of... Um, Pulling together a story, telling a story that uh, the central like thesis of which was that Elon Musk invented Bitcoin. Um, and so I, I prefaced this in, in the days running up to it by talking about like memes and uh, meme wars and talking about how memes are like uh, they're, they're essentially compressed information. Right. Um, Bitcoin is a. a very well versed in what exactly memes are because we're, we're the masters of meme warfare. Um, but yeah, just to kind of recap, memes are compressed information. You kind of uh, compress lots of different ideas into like four words or whatever, or some, an image or uh, an idea, uh, a sentence. Um, and you can kind of send that meme around, transfer that meme around, uh, very easily, very virally. Um, and the person who kind of receives it gets all of, well, gets most of the information, nearly all of the information that you intended to transfer and imbue the meme with. Um, and yeah, but, but along the way, it was, it was really, really viral. Um, so yeah, it comes from Richard Dawkins, the word meme. Um, he draws an analogy to the way genes propagate um, so yeah, what, what I said in the days run, running up to this thread was like, I'm about to start conducting a meme warfare offensive. And I spoke about the Elon Musk is Satoshi meme as kind of embedding some different ideas, like, um, and some of which are like, and the, the, there has to be like truth to the meme, right? Otherwise it's, it's not particularly viral. Nobody will share it. Um, Embedded within the, the meme that Elon is Satoshi is the idea that Bitcoin is somehow integral to uh, like the Mars mission and the sustainability of a Mars colony. 
uh, which you can make various um, arguments for. Um, if anybody wants to kind of go down that rabbit hole, uh, Drove Bansal from Unchained Capital has written a three-part series on it. Clark Moody has written one, uh, Bitcoin and the Interplanetary Frontier, that's worth a read. Um, but yeah, essentially, if you when you actually look into whether Bitcoin will be used on Mars, the, the, the answer is uh, yes, um, but not forever. Um, mining won't be competitive. Like Bitcoin will be usable on Mars, but mining won't be competitive on Mars. So over the long term, they'll want to transition away uh, towards something else. But anyway, this this thread, I, th I thought you can't just like explain rather dryly why uh, Bitcoin is going to be the currency of Mars. Because you can talk about things like frontier values, right? Like uh, what is Mars if not the opening of a new frontier? And when you, when you look at what it's going to take to survive and thrive on Mars, the values of the Mars colony, it's, it's going to be similar. Perhaps, it, well, it's definitely going to be even more difficult. But the values and what it's going to take to survive on Mars are going to be similar to those that it, it took to survive on the American frontier. So like radical self-sufficiency, like fierce independence, a commitment to freedom and like uh, strictly voluntary governance and stuff like that. Uh, those things are going to be the values of the Mars colony ultimately, because that's what it's going to take. Uh, and they, they will influence Mar Martian culture. Um, in the same way that the frontier values have influenced American culture. Um, yeah, so, and, and if those are the values of your culture, you are, well, you, let's look at the options for money. And we all know how important it is, money is. We've spoken about how fundamental it is to the functioning of society. You're not going to use gold because how will you get it there? And it doesn't naturally occur on Mars, I don't think. And even if it did, you're not going to, waste precious resources mining it. Um, you're not going to use fiat money because that's anathema to your values because you're all about self-sufficiency and freedom and what have you. And But you're going to use a, a currency of an earthbound nation state and thus be dependent on that earthbound nation state. And I think for a while, a Mars colony probably will be dependent on Earth, but second and third generation martians they'll never have even been to earth so um so yeah they're not going to want to use and and have this tie to an earthbound nation state so what are they going to use they're going to use bitcoin because nobody owns it there are no authorities in bitcoin nobody has the power over it you can beam bitcoin around the solar system at the speed of light um the user experience is worse because uh, the information trans, obviously information can only travel at the speed of light. And so it can take between like four and 22 minutes, I think, to transfer information from Earth to Mars. And so, um, you know, if you're waiting for six confirmations on Mars, you'll be doing that for a longer time than you might be on Earth. You'll fix it via a layer two solution, I'm sure. But anyway. <laughs> So that's the basis for the thread. All of that information that I've just uh, brain dumped there is all compressed into the meme that Elon Musk invented Bitcoin because he, like, his reason for being 
is to make life multiplanetary. He's solving just about every problem himself through his companies and what have you with regards to the Mars mission, uh, reusable rockets being the most kind of uh, famous and inspirational. Um, and yeah, so I wrote this thread and I told my followers at the time, this is why I'm doing it. But then I wrote the thread uh, and it was like, it was, the details were like, um, so he built PayPal. So he'd been thinking about the problem of money for a while. Uh, and if you listen to like Peter Thiel's comments from around the time that they were building PayPal, um, they, they, they are very much, it's like a Bitcoin of talking, talking about the problems of uh, government and national currencies. Um, so I, yeah, there was a bit of that. There was, um, yeah, some of the timing, like uh, the Bitcoin white paper was released 30 days after the first successful SpaceX rocket launch, I think of the Falcon 9. So like I, I wrote in the thread, like uh, he watched the rocket take off and then he turned his attention to the next problem, <laughs> solving the problem of money. And a, a, According to the thread, he wrote the white paper in 30 days, as you do. Um, yeah, and then there's other stuff like uh, the like circumstantial stuff, like uh, the uh, Satoshi's IP address is thought to have been inadvertently or, or otherwise revealed at one point. I don't know how true this is, um, but at least three different websites say it. Um, and it's a location in like California. And I said, and it's like 10 miles north of where Elon Musk lives. Um, like, as if that's a good point. Like, it's 10 miles north of where he lives. It's not where he lives. But um, yeah, I, I, I had meant it all to be like tongue in cheek and just told this, the Mars, Bitcoin is Mars money story through the Elon is Satoshi idea. Um, and I thought everybody that saw it would be like, oh, yeah, okay, good story. And I get why I get why you're saying it, because, yeah, Bitcoin is Mars money. You get the truth of it. But then I, I had quite a few people like DMing me like, dude, dude, I think you're right. And I had one guy slid into my DMs and he said, uh, has somebody shared my Google Doc with you? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, what do you mean? And he was like, like, these are my ideas. <laughs> so apparently he was already circulating these ideas amongst his friends about how Elon Musk was Satoshi and thought that I'd stolen his ideas or something. Um, so, yeah, I've stopped pushing that idea as widely, or at least when I push it, I, like, I'll preface it with the fact that, like, this is fan fiction. Because although it, it's funny and it's tongue-in-cheek, I don't want people to be, like, mi in, misled. And now I understand that people do get misled by it. So, uh, yeah, all, all in good fun. Yeah, the, the Bitcoin is Mars money stuff I do want to take further because there's like, yeah, there's there's great meme potential there. Um, and as uh, Drew Bansal has um, expanded on, um, it, yeah, th there's merit in in the idea that the Mars colony will use Bitcoin. Um, so that, that's actually, I've got that... Um, planned as a series for my YouTube channel. Um, yeah, I was writing it last weekend, like a seven or eight episode series, just looking at the, like, the viability of Bitcoin on Mars and all these kind of things. You've kind of got, a, there's a danger that it gets quite dry and just talking about physics and 
the Bitcoin network in like uh, really dry terms. But so that's where you've got to dress it up in like Elon Musk's Satoshi fan fiction. But <laughs> yeah, we'll, mate, we'll I love it. Be interesting to see uh, how it all goes. So, I mean, well, if you had one orange pill left to give, who would you give it to and why? I knew this question was coming and I thought about <laughs> it and now I forgot what I thought. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it wouldn't be because you might think like who's the most powerful person in the world. But what you continually see with Bitcoin is like, people like it doesn't matter like the truth doesn't matter we've kind of uh, spoken about this people's incentives often matter more uh, and if they don't have high integrity or they're too powerfully incentivized to look the other way they won't so yeah no politicians um sailor said musk didn't he so musk, he, he did he, 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 he yeah. when i asked him when i asked him on the show and uh, ali from tahini's pulled this out uh he said well you better give it to the richest guy on the planet because he's the richest guy on the planet. And then weeks later, he went and pilled the richest guy on the planet. It was uh, amazing. amazing. Um, but yeah, thanks, Ali, if you're listening, for pulling that out. Uh, I actually, I, I, I SMS that 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 particular clip that he shared over to uh, Michael Saylor and he found it very amusing. He'd forgotten he'd even said it. So it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, in terms of my answer, oh, Maybe like someone with a big audience. I get when I think big audience, Rogan comes to mind. Uh, or maybe someone I know. But then I've got all my family into it. So, yeah, that's a good question. I think I might have to settle with uh, Joe Rogan. I think he, he could do a real, really good job. He's a very good and enthusiastic communicator. And I think a lot of his audience are kind of, you know, open-minded and whatever. So, yeah, I might say Joe Rogan. Love it, mate. Um, there, there's uh, been a few Brits on on Twitter recently because Russell Brand has been dropping a, a lot of interesting things that are so Bitcoin and he just seems so primed for it. But at the same time, so blind to it. Um, I, I've, so, tried, I've been trying with Eric Weinstein. Right. Um, yeah, my, my personal like uh, orange pill mission. But um, I think, yeah, because he, he sees the reason being he, he speaks about the WTF happened in 1971 phenomena. But um, yeah, some people are just too embedded in the status quo and what have you. So I, I wouldn't be bullish on um, Russell Brand's pros prospects. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. All right, Chris, we've covered a lot, brother. What, um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before you... Uh, do you have any like uh, parting messages for the listeners, where, where they can find you, and to how to look out for your YouTube channel, etc.? Cool, yeah. So uh, I'm uh, at ChrisEspley1 on Twitter, um, and then I'm just Chris Espley, E-S-P-L-E-Y, on YouTube. Um, I've got just under 50 subscribers, I believe, at the minute um and but yeah my, my videos are getting better and uh so yeah if you, if you want to like sort of watch me be part of the journey and uh watch me get better at making youtube videos and try and orange pill the world then um yeah and you want to see my orange hoodie and my orange clothes and my orange fleece then uh 
get involved. But yeah, beyond that, just yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. I uh, yeah, I uh, I really enjoy the show. I uh, I hadn't actually heard Heavily Armed Clown on uh, anywhere else before that, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- thanks for what you're doing to your your mission to. I think we're we're aligned in our mission to orange pill as many people as possible, create good content. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Until next time. 100% brother. Really appreciate you coming on and reaching out. And um, yeah, all the best with uh, with everything that you're doing. And, and yeah, thanks for stepping up. Thanks, mate. See you next time. See you. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that rip with Chris. Go and follow him on Twitter if you're not already and go and check out some of the threads he's already dropped on Twitter. They're brilliant. Very, very thought-provoking. Some are tongue-in-cheek. And uh, it's just, just just great to see the, the work that he's putting out there. So thanks for coming on, brother. Really appreciate it. Uh, before we tie this one up, I just want to make sure you guys head across to the website, one-bitten.com. Hit the Sponsors tab. Go and check out coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. You can save on commission there. Create your own affiliate link for your friends and family. Make sure you check out relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch forward slash bitten. Do the same thing if you sign up. Create your own affiliate link. The same goes with swan, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. If you are part of these companies, you can create your own link and you can start sharing that around your friends and family when you're orange pilling them. And you can start enjoying some of the kickbacks, whether it's save on, saving on a commission or, you know, some uh, like a free 10 bucks in the case of Swan. Everybody's running different programs month to month, so it's always worth keeping an eye on. There are some other companies on there as well where you'd be able to get some discounts. And I'm always open to showcasing other companies in that manner if you want to come on and throw a little discount if you're a Bitcoin only company throw a code out there. Shamari does a great job of that. Scott is always dropping off free games for some of the listeners that have a sharp eye and watch my tweets. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening. I look forward to the next show.